All month long, we've been looking at the book of James, and uh, I know some of you have been following along with our, our reading plan. Uh, we gave you this the first week that we started in the book of James, and there's still some available around the church if you didn't get one, and they're also available uh, on our, our website. But what this does is it gives you an opportunity to read the passage uh, on Friday, just together as a church that we're going to be looking at uh, on the following Sunday. Uh, there are three questions that it, it asks you there to, to kind of ask yourself as you read through that passage, and then to share your thoughts with us. Uh, gives you an opportunity to do that. And I know some of you have been doing that very faithfully during uh, this past month and, and this past week and have shared some of your insights, and we appreciate that. And it does help us uh, when we put uh, sermons together to, to hear the thoughts of others and, and insights that, that others have into a particular passage of Scripture. So you can pick up one of those there around the church, or you can certainly find it uh, on our website. When I was in school, in grade school, we didn't have the big schools like we have today. We had smaller neighborhood schools. So in the school that I went to, my grade school was actually grade one through seven. And there weren't numerous first grades and numerous second grades and numerous third grades. We just had one. We had first grade, second grade, third grade, all in one class. So as you moved up through school, you pretty much stayed with the same people unless somebody moved out or somebody moved in. My class was, was pretty good. We were rather well-behaved children and everything and, until we got to the fifth grade. And, and I really don't know what happened when we got to the fifth grade. I just know that, that we changed a little bit. Now, if you're in education, you may be sitting there nodding your head knowing why we changed when we got to the fifth grade. But still, we became quite mischievous when we got to the fifth grade Mischievous, that's an old word, but it's a kind word for we were brats. Um, now, we liked to, to do things when the teacher wasn't paying attention. But with a regular teacher, we didn't get away with a whole lot. But the poor substitutes that came when our regular teacher was gone. It was not a good environment to be a substitute teacher. We had one particular substitute. It was our favorite. Her name was Mrs. McCall, but she had the nickname Spitball McCall. Now, for those of you, just raise your hand. You know what a spitball is, please. I, don't, I don't, really don't want to describe it good enough. If you know, if you didn't raise your hand, ask the person next to you that did. But when Mrs. McCall was our substitute teacher, every time she would turn around to write on the board, spitballs would fly. And Mrs. McCall was oblivious to this. I mean, she just kept writing in there, bloop, 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 all over the place. Until one day, one of them hit her in the back of the head. So we all kind of froze. And Mrs. McCall turned around very slowly. And she looked at us over the top of her glasses. And she said, which one of you little demons did that? <clears throat> she called us Demons. We've been called brats. We've been called mischievous. We've never been called demons. Well, well what is a demon uh, anyway? Well, in the dictionary, actually, a mischievous child is classified as, as a demon. Uh, in addition, if you're suffering from an addiction, alcohol or drugs can be your personal demon. An unpleasant experience from the past or mistakes from the past can be your demon, the demon that, that haunts you. As you go through life, sometimes the person who has a lot of energy and a lot of drive is, is called a demon. 
For instance, the Mountaineers might have a linebacker who's particularly aggressive, and we refer to him as a demon linebacker, and we mean that in a positive way, actually, because he's, he's very good at what he does. But in the Bible, uh, and in our spiritual lives, uh, demons are, are something else. Demons uh, are, are evil spirits, and demons are probably fallen angels who joined Satan in his rebellion against God. Uh, they help Satan tempt people, and they are full of destructive power. And there are numerous accounts in the New Testament of encounters with demons and people who are, are demon-possessed. And those demons are very real, and they're very dangerous. But as we continue our journey through James, we're, James is going to talk to us today about three types of faith. Now, I know what you're saying. Wait a minute. We were talking about demons. How did we get from demons all of a sudden just boom to faith. Stick with me. Stick with me. We'll get there. Well, let's talk about faith a moment. Faith is one of the core values of our church. Uh, the Bible tells us as sinners we are saved by faith. The Bible tells us that as believers we are called to walk by faith. It tells us that without faith it's impossible to please God. And it tells us that apart from faith uh, we sin. So, Faith is not a feeling, actually, but rather faith is more like a confidence in God's Word. It's a confidence that God's Word is true, and it's a conviction that we are to act upon what we know to be true. In fact, someone has said that faith is not believing in spite of evidence, but obeying in spite of consequence. And faith is about obedience, not just believing in something that is impossible. So, what does James have to say about faith? In James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, he says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. First type of faith that James talks about today is a, a dead faith. A dead faith. This may be one of the most famous passages, in, in, certainly in James, but maybe in, in the whole of the New Testament and, and we sort of kind of condense it and paraphrase it a lot of times. And just we will just say faith without works is dead. That's what you hear most of the time when people are referring to this particular passage. And in case you forget that, James will remind us a little later about this uh, part about being dead. But dead here actually refers to being barren or, or idle. And, and really there's not much to add here. Uh, James asked a question about whether or not faith without some kind of deeds is, is really of any benefit. And he gives an example that illustrates uh, that point that's easy for us to understand. The idea that if we see someone who is hungry or, or who needs clothes and we just kind of pat them on the back and send them on their way and, and wish them well. Uh, James said that if you do that, then, then, then your faith is dead. And what good does it do? What good does it do just to do that? And when he comes to talking about the faith being dead, the idea, we serve a risen Christ, someone who rose from the dead. 
But for a lot of us, when it comes to the actual practice of our faith, a faith that we claim to have in a risen Savior, unfortunately, a lot of the times, the way that we practice our faith is if our faith is still in the ground. That's pretty straightforward. You, you get that. You get this about the dead faith. It's easy to understand. Someone comes to you. They're in need. You pat them on the back. You pray for them. You send them on your way. And James says, that's no good. If, you, that, if that's what you do as a, one who says they're a Christian, he says, then, then your faith is dead. Your faith is dead. It's idle. It's barren. And then he says in verse 18, he says, But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. This someone considers the idea that, that faith and, and deeds can somehow be separated. He, he's saying, You do your deeds, I'll have my faith, and we'll all just be happy Christians together. But, but James is saying, no, no, the, the two cannot be separated. He says, look, I can't see your faith. I can't see your faith. Your faith is something that's inside of you. And, and James is saying, you can say you have faith, but I can't see it. But James says, look, I'll show you my faith by, by what I do. Anyone can profess faith. But only action will show that that faith is genuine. James goes on to talk about the second type of faith in verse 19. He says, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So the second type of faith that James talks about is demon faith. Demon faith. Here's a question for you. How does your faith compare to the average demon? How does your faith compare to the faith of the average demon. Now remember, demons are evil spirits. They're fallen angels. Uh, they were involved in the rebellion against God. They helped Satan by tempting people. And, and so with that in mind, I would think most Christians would say, well, that's a silly question. I mean, my, my faith is a whole lot stronger. My faith is a, is a whole lot better. It doesn't even compare to a demon's faith. Well, not so fast. <laughs> Because demons have a whole lot more faith than maybe you give them credit for having. And as crazy as it sounds, if you really look at the faith of some who say they're Christians and, and a demon's faith that we're going to look at here, sometimes there's not much difference. And sometimes, just on the surface, you might even give a little bit of the edge to what the demon believes. So, it comes as a shock to people that demons would have faith. But let's look at, at some examples from the New Testament. First of all, uh, demons believe in the existence of God. They are not atheists, nor are they agnostics. If they were involved in a rebellion against God, they certainly believe that, that God exists. There's no, no doubt about that with them. But they also believe in the deity of Christ. They believe in the deity of Christ. In Mark chapter 3... It, it says that the demons fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. The, the demons actually knew who Jesus was, and, and they profess it out loud. 
Uh, Demons also believe in the existence of a place of punishment. Jesus is getting ready to, in Luke chapter 8, cast out demons. And and the response from the demons is, it says, they begged Jesus not to order them into the abyss. So so they believed that there was a place of punishment. Uh, Demons also recognize Jesus Christ as the judge. In Mark chapter 5, they call him the son of the most high God. And demons submit to the power of of, of his word. Jesus commanded the demons to come out. And what did they do? They came out. Demons have a fair amount of of faith about, about who Jesus is. So what's the point that James is trying to make here about demon faith? Well, he's saying, look, he says, you believe there's one God. People say to me all the time, I believe in God, and that's great. But what James says here is, look, even the demons believe in God. In fact, like we just said, if if you read about demons in the New Testament, they believe a whole lot more than just the fact that there is God. But their belief is all intellectual, with one exception. They have a little bit of emotion, too. Because James says, look, they believe, but they also shudder at what they believe. So there's an emotional response. So is it possible that for some who say they are Christians, that that their faith is really just pretty much no better than a demon faith? Or you might even say, well, look. Is there anything wrong in believing all of those things? Not at all. No, all of those things are true. But James wants us to understand that the demon faith is is not a saving faith. The demons believe all of that, and they shudder at some of it, but it's not a saving faith they believe. Demons are not going to heaven. Warren Wearsby has said that a person can be enlightened in his mind and even stirred in his heart and be lost forever. So James tells us about two kinds of faith so far, two types. First type is dead. It's all intellectual. It's dead. has no actions at all. The demon faith is intellectual with a little bit of emotion attached to it. But it's no good either, because it's not a saving faith. Now he moves on to the third type. In verse, 19, or verse 20, he says, You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. 
the third type of faith that James talks about and the type that he wants us to have is a dynamic faith. It's a dynamic faith. Now, if you think James got people's attention or even got your attention with the demon part, this should really get your attention. Because if you're a believer, you have been taught that we are saved by grace through faith. It's not a result of works. That's what we've been told. That's what we've been taught. That's what we believe. Well, along comes James who says, we are made righteous or right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. So if you read that and, you, and you're a believer who's been taught, wait a minute, it, it's, it's by faith, then this should really get your attention. And this should really get you to thinking, well, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Is, is James contradicting, for instance, what Paul says? Paul writes in Romans, he says, we are made right with God <clears throat> through faith and not by obeying the law. Well, <clears throat> the short answer is they're not contradicting each other. And this is not an example of where the Bible uh, contradicts itself. Now, if James and Paul both used the term made right or justified in the same way, then these verses would contradict each other. But for Paul, being made right is the initial granting of righteousness upon a person's acceptance of Christ. But for James, being made right refers to God's final verdict over our entire Christian lives, whereby we are declared righteous for having lived a life that was faithful to the end. And for Paul, works or deeds, obeying the law, are what people were trying to do in order to be saved. But for James, deeds, what we do, are a natural product of true faith. So in a nutshell... Paul made it clear that a person enters the kingdom of God only by faith. But James also makes it clear that God requires good deeds from those who are in the kingdom. And then he gives two Old Testament examples of the kind of faith that he's talking about. He talks about Abraham. Abraham had a dynamic faith in God. And, and, Ab and James points out that Abraham's faith was much more than just a belief in one God. And that the fruit of Abraham's great faith was in his deeds, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And then for Rahab, the prostitute, the pagan woman with a bad reputation, she was made right with God by her actions. These two people who are on opposite kind of sides of what we would consider the, the faith spectrum, you have Abraham, uh, and then you have Rahab. But, but his point is that, that for all people, for all people, for all people, faith and deeds go together and are complete. It's not our salvation. It's not our salvation, but we are made complete. That actions that we do should result from the faith that we have. In fact, a commentator once said that a person receives salvation by faith alone, not by doing works of obedience. But a saved person does works of obedience because of their faith.
Now, if that all sounds kind of complicated and confusing, let, let me just give you uh, kind of a modern-day example that maybe we can identify with easily. Let's say that you really like high school football. You really do. And, and your son plays for the local high school football team. And you've been invited to join the football booster club. So you're excited about that because you really want to support the football program. So you and 25 other people, or you and 24 other people rather, come together and form the football booster club. However, when it comes time to raise money or really do something to support the club, the same 10 people show up time after time after time after time. The same 10 people. So, so the question is, which one would you say are the true boosters? The 10 that show up or the 15 who don't? Obviously, it's the 10 because they actually did something to support the team. They didn't just say they were football boosters. They showed up. And actually did something to boost the team. The others said that they were boosters. But never did anything to support the team. Happens in the church all the time. A lot of folks will say, we're believers. We believe in Christ. But the same percentage of folks are always the ones who show up and work, who volunteer to do things, who give, all of those things. Now, everybody says, hey, my name's on the roll. I'm a Christian. I, I, support, I support the work of the church. But the question comes down then, okay, who really are? The members, so to speak. The ones who just say it or the ones who actually do it. Christian life in general. We say, we are believers in Jesus Christ. I believe all the right things. I know all the things. I've, I believe all this stuff. But when it comes to actually doing anything to show that that faith is real, you claim it's real, but you don't love your neighbor. You're all the time fighting with somebody. You're all the time causing trouble. And maybe it's not even to that extent. Maybe it's just the fact that you claim to be a believer, but you never lift a finger to do anything for anybody. Who is the real believer? And I would say that those who claim to know it all and believe it all, even those who claim to know it all and maybe tremble a little bit, get emotional every now and then, but never do anything about it. James is saying your faith is either dead or it's a demon faith. The one that Jesus wants from people who are residents of the kingdom is a dynamic faith. Not just solid in the truth that you believe. Not someone who has just come to, to God through faith. 
but someone who is actually going to live what they say they believe. That's the point of all of this. We can say it with our mouths, but does it show in our actions? And that's a question that, that all of us need to ask ourselves. Do we have a demon faith? Do we have a dead faith? Or do we have a dynamic faith? You know, no one is moved to action without faith. I believe that. But at the same token, one's faith really isn't real unless it shows itself in action. So what God calls us to do today is to look at our own hearts. Not just do we believe it right, believe all of it in the right way, but what are we doing? And, and, and it's not hard to figure that out, by the way. It's not hard if we're honest with ourselves. It's not hard to figure out which of these three that we have. But if we do that and we find that maybe it's the dead faith or the demon faith, there's good news as well. Because we can come to God and we can confess that we've not been the people he wants us to be. And he will forgive us. But then we need to repent and we need to, to live for him and to do the things that we claim to believe. Dead faith, demon faith, we can do better than that. Let's have a dynamic faith and change the world. Let's pray.